Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. God, this is your word today. God, it is living and active. It is breathed out. God, I pray you would open our hearts, open our ears to hear what you would have to say today. God, we love you. Blessed be your name, God, our Father. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. As Daniel said, my name is Josh Coleman. I'm a marketing professor at Missouri State University. That was my wife, Jill, who loves being on stage so much that as soon as she finished reading, she ran off stage as quickly as she could. Uh, we just moved to Springfield a little over a year ago from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we're covenant members here at Hill City. And if you have seen us around here at Hill City, you probably know we did not make the move here alone. All the girls say all the guys are like, what's the big deal? That is Lily. She is two and a half years old. She is the absolute sweetest girl you will ever meet, and I am totally biased when I say that. And having moved here from Nashville, Tennessee, which is like the place to be in, in America right now, having moved here from Nashville, we get a lot of questions. People often say, really? You moved from Nashville, Tennessee to Springfield, Missouri. What's it been like living in Springfield, Missouri? So to answer that question probably would help to know a few things about my wife and I. Uh, we've been married for eight years. We were best friends in high school. We dated all through college. I'm in marketing and advertising. I'm more probably of the creative of the two of us. And Jill is an accountant. Uh, Jill thrives in Microsoft Excel. I... When, when I pull up Microsoft Excel, I literally pull out a calculator as well to do the numbers. Just saying, you know that Excel does that for you. And I, just, I just like doing it, like doing it, it my way. I, I'm probably the dreamer, the visionary of the two of us. Jill definitely keeps me grounded. Even the way we both responded to today's passage, I think just kind of epitomizes or sums up who we are. I was told I'd be preaching on the story about Martha and Mary. And my first thoughts, what are the rich theological truths here? What are the meta-narrative passages that I can bring out in this, the, the, the dreamer, the teacher? What are all the amazing things I can do with this passage? Uh, Jill's response was, yeah, I've always wondered about that passage. What, am I supposed to just leave my dishes in the sink and go listen to Jesus? And if we're being honest, most of us probably have similar thoughts here. Did, when we look at this passage, did Luke just write this story for busy housewives to encourage them, hey, it's okay to take some time off every now and then? Uh, well, one thing that's interesting about this story is we actually don't see it anywhere else in the Bible. Luke is the only gospel writer who included this story in his passage. So that's another question to think about. If he's the only one who did, why did Luke include this story in the first place? 
Well, again, first reaction for many of us. Martha is distracted with much serving. She even calls Jesus out at one point. Tell my sister to help me serve. And we look at this, and it's so easy and so quick to say, well, how dare you, Martha? How dare you miss Jesus Christ in your home? And how dare you call Jesus out? You're so busy doing your own stuff. And then we look at Mary. And Mary's just sitting and listening to Jesus teach. Gosh, why can't we all be more like a good Mary and just sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach? Well, though this is the only gospel in which we see this story, we actually see Martha and Mary in another story in another gospel. Uh, so you can turn to John chapter 11. I know we're in Luke chapter 10 today, but we're going to camp out here for just a minute um, and look at the story uh, in John chapter 11. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So if you've heard the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, then you know Martha and Mary. And in verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus loved this family. And as the story goes, Jesus finds out his friend Lazarus has died. And after a few days go by, Jesus and his disciples make their way to visit this family. And when Jesus enters the village, how do Martha and Mary respond? Well, in verse 20, we see that when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Of course. Of course they did. Martha's the, the busy kitchen cleaner. She's the one who calls Jesus out. Jesus comes to the village. She's the one who's going to go meet Jesus at the entrance. And Mary, what's she doing? Well, she remains seated at home. And at this point, we have to wonder, if we're being honest, is Mary just lazy? Because in, in the story in Luke 10... We see Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, and now the story of Lazarus. We see Martha running out to greet Jesus, and Mary remains seated. And, and remember in the, in the story for today, in the passage in Luke, Martha called Jesus out. Uh, what does she say to Jesus now? She runs to the gates, and in verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, Martha seems to know everything, and she's not afraid to tell Jesus. And I love how she says this to Jesus, too, as if Jesus is going to respond. Oh, you know what, Martha? You're right. If I had been here, Lazarus, oh, thank you for pointing that out to me, Martha. I'm so sorry I missed it. So between this passage in Luke 10 and the story of Lazarus, we see pretty clearly. Martha is this loud-mouthed busybody, and Mary's just lazy. But then the story starts to turn just a bit. Jesus tells Martha, Lazarus will rise again. And they talk a bit about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And Martha says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And this profession should sound pretty familiar. Luke chapter 9, verse 20, Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. So this is not something that everybody was just kind of going around, oh yeah, that's the Messiah, that's Christ. This is, this is Peter, cornerstone of the church level theology here that Martha is saying, and she professes to believe it. So maybe Martha is just this loudmouth busybody, but she at least has a pretty solid understanding of who Jesus is. And the story continues, and we see that there may be more to Mary too. In verse 28, 
When she, when Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, when Mary heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. So Mary can get up. She's not just totally lazy. Rather, perhaps in her sitting, Mary was just waiting for her Lord to call for her. And what does Mary say when she sees him in verse 32? Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds a lot like what Martha said to Jesus. So maybe telling Jesus the obvious isn't necessarily bad, but we see that the sisters do so in very different ways. Remember that when we go back to our passage in Luke. Maybe it's not about what they were doing, but the way by which they did it. Now, as this story nears its end, we see Martha again doing what Martha does best. Starting at verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. This is the tomb where Martha's brother Lazarus now lies dead. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. It's, it's almost laughable by now. I mean, just picture this moment. Lazarus has been dead for several days. Jesus has claimed he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. There's lots of people around. It's tense. Everybody's going, this guy said he's going to raise him from the What's, what's going to happen? It's probably pretty quiet. And then, and then uh, Jesus, I'm sure he raises his hands because that's the only way you can say something like this. He, he raises his hands and he says, take away. Because when I read Bible stories to Lily, I, Jesus talks in a British accent. So just... Just go, just go with it. And so Jesus, he raises his hands and he says, take away the stone. <laughs> and we can, hear, we can hear this giant stone being rolled away from him. I mean, this is an intense moment. And it's in this moment that Martha just has to point out, well, you know, guys, it's probably going to smell bad in there. Like, thank you, Martha. Really, there's a dead guy in there? It's going to smell. And, and what's, again, what's Jesus supposed to respond? Wait, wait, wait. Did you say four days? Oh, I thought he'd only been in there two days. Four days he's been. You're right, Martha. It is going to smell. Hey, put the stone back, guys. It's going to smell bad. Why does Martha feel the need always to just put herself out there? Well, this story continues. Lazarus is raised from the dead. And we actually see the sisters one more time. In the very next chapter of John, chapter 12, starting in verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served. We've got to ask ourselves, what's going on here at this point? Why is Martha constantly so busy, constantly serving? Is this just a personality thing with Martha, or is something more going on here? Well, outside of these two passages, context and culture of this day can also give us some clues as to who these girls were. First, the fact that neither Martha nor Mary are listed as having husbands and the fact that they lived with their brother in this day was, quite frankly, kind of weird. Because the role of women in this day was to get married, probably very young, to raise a family, to carry on the genealogical line of the family so this was likely, the situation, likely not by accident. It's 
Probably not like we might find in, in our world today where we just couldn't find the right guy and we thought we had the right guy and then it ended up breaking up and it just didn't work out. So they're going to stay at home with the family. That, that's not probably how it went down back then. Rather, it's more likely that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived together for a reason. And outside evidence points to the likelihood that this family actually served the poor or the outcasts, maybe even lepers. For there was really no other reason for them to commit their lives to being single. So if this is true, then their lives were marked by constant countercultural sacrifice as they devoted themselves to serving the ritually unclean and unwanted, flew in the face of the Jewish leaders of that day. And now it might make a bit more sense why Jesus so loved this family. And not only that, women in general were looked down upon pretty strongly in this day. Women were viewed as incredibly inferior to men. So that brings us back to our text today, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha. That right there, to us, okay, cool, a woman entered him, welcomed Jesus, welcomed him into her her house, that doesn't mean much to us. But in that day, that could have been tremendously profound, that a woman went to a teacher and welcomed him into her home. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So we see here, first off, Martha taking that initiative. She's known for Martha being Martha and going and welcoming Jesus into her house. And of course, there's old lazy Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. But we have to understand that this idea of sitting at Jesus' feet actually has some deeper meaning here. Because in this day, to sit at a teacher's feet indicated that you were a disciple. As we see with Paul in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. Paul says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So right off the bat, we see here that Mary's not just being lazy, that Jesus here is including Mary as one of his disciples. And this is an incredible countercultural truth for that day, that a woman could be a disciple. And we should note here, are we saying, when we say that Mary was one of Jesus' disciples, are we saying that she was one of the 12 disciples, one of the big 12, and not at all? Because just before this passage, as Brad taught last week, uh, we saw Jesus sending out 72 of his disciples for ministry. And these 72 disciples, actually right before this passage, had just returned from that ministry. So we see, a first of all, Mary is included as a disciple with all these other guys, not just with the 12. It's not what we mean when we say that. But B, there's a good chance that these 72 guys were still hanging out with Jesus at this time, which might help us understand the next verse a little clearer. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. I bet she was. If she invited Jesus to her house and she brought 72 of his disciples with them. Has that ever happened to you guys? Hey, um, you want to come over to my house? Yeah, is it okay if I bring a few people with me? Yeah, that's cool. And then they come in with 72 people behind them. Of course, Martha was distracted with much serving. And then when we, <coughs> excuse me, when we layer in the fact that Martha's entire life, her trade, her career may have been devoted to serving the poor and the outcasts. So serving was her thing. 
on top of the cultural expectations that a woman in this day, her only role was to raise the family and to serve. And when we even look at Christ, who commands his disciples to be a servant of all, suddenly do you sense a subtle shift in our perspective of this passage? Our first reaction was, how dare you, Martha? You're being distracted with serving instead of listening to Jesus. And now we have to wonder if instead the proper response would be, how dare you, Mary, for shirking your responsibility as a woman and just sitting at Jesus' feet. Mary's society, her entire life's work, her career, even the Lord at whose feet she said all of these things demanded that she serve and she's just sitting there. So how much more now do we understand Martha's response in verse 40? And she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And we have to wonder what Mary must have been thinking during this exchange, because it doesn't say that Martha quietly pulled Jesus aside and asked him for some help, but even says in the story of Lazarus that, uh, that Martha said something to Mary privately. It does not say that here. Instead, it says she went up to him, which implies she, he was teaching and she made sure everybody saw her and everybody heard her. So Mary's got to know that she's acting completely out of character for a woman of her day. She's got to know people are probably talking behind her back, judging her. I thought, she, why is she not there? I thought this was her house. What is she doing just sitting here? And then to top it all off, her own sister, the person who should have her back the most, calls her behavior out to Jesus of all people in front of everybody. What must Mary have been thinking at this moment? And when we look at this verse in the context of the story of Lazarus, Martha's heart starts screaming at us when she says, Lord, do you not care? Because one of the only times in all of Scripture Jesus is recorded as crying is at the death of Lazarus, Martha's brother. You may have heard that verse before. Jesus wept. Jesus cried. Martha has to know that Jesus cares about her deeply. So I don't believe this question is innocently asked. I don't believe Martha's genuinely wondering, Lord, do you not care about me? Rather, I believe Martha knows Jesus cares, but in this moment, she just doesn't feel like it. Listen again to what she says. Do you not care? My sister's left me. I'm alone. Maybe Martha's talking about something more than just cooking a meal by herself here. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I'm doing, acting exactly how I'm expected to act, and you still pick her. I'm alone. How strongly do we relate to Martha in this moment? How often do our prayers begin this way? God, I thought you cared about me. God, I thought you loved me. Do you not care? Martha, our busybody, loudmouth Martha, she calls out her Lord for leaving her to serve alone. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Jesus does not condemn Martha 
Because Martha wasn't actually doing anything wrong by serving. And in fact, as we now see, Martha was acting exactly as society expected her to act. So rather than condemn her or say she is wrong, Jesus instead directs Martha to her sister, Mary. And knowing what we now know, how much more amazing is Mary's behavior? You see, we look at this passage through our 21st century lens, and we think the admirable and obvious, obviously correct choice in this situation is to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach. Of course, that's what everybody would do if Jesus were in there. If Jesus came in right now, we would, of course, sit at his feet and listen to him teach. When, in fact, as a woman, Mary's behavior was likely repulsive to the people in that room. It was even impossible to understand from her own sister. 72 disciples who were probably there. They'd just gotten back from ministry. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We have to wonder, what was more shocking to them? Casting out demons or seeing a woman at the feet of Jesus, approved by Jesus as his disciple. And Jesus says Mary has chosen the good portion. What does that mean? It could just be a food metaphor, a a portion of food, since Martha was distracted with much serving for the meal. But if we look at the overall narrative of Scripture, we may see something else. Psalm uh, 16.5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Psalm 73.26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Mary choosing the good portion was her choice of Jesus over everything else in her life. See, Martha wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong. She just couldn't conceive of a way to live for both Christ and all the expectations that society had placed on her life. Mary looked at everything society, culture, and family expected of her, who she was supposed to be. And then she looked at Jesus, and she chose him because she knew that Jesus was the better choice. And what's more, Jesus welcomed her as his disciple, even though she was a woman. Which brings us back to our previous question. Why did Luke include this story in his gospel when no other writers did? I believe the answer is something that we've seen before throughout the book of Luke. Luke wanted to demonstrate the upside-down kingdom of Jesus here. In Luke's, excuse me, in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, women are welcomed as his disciples. And if you look at the overall narrative of Luke, look at how intentionally he includes women all throughout his gospel. In Luke chapter 5, we see two parables side by side. One of mending garments, which is a woman's job, and one of making wine, which is a man's job. In Luke 15, we see several parables about losing things, the man who lost one of his sheep and the woman who lost her coin. In Luke chapter 8, we see that Jesus actually had women disciples traveling with him and funding him. And this is all related to the ministry of a man and recorded by a man, Jesus and Luke, respectively. So we see in the story today perhaps the culmination of Luke's overall demonstration that in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, women are included. 
And this then begins to answer the other question we asked was, was Luke just writing this passage for busy housewives to give them some time off? Well, I believe Luke likely had several audiences in mind. We've seen in Luke chapter 1 that he's writing this account for Theophilus. And so we now see he's probably including this story to demonstrate the upside down kingdom to Theophilus. But maybe Luke was also writing this passage for the Marys who would one day read it. For those who are not distracted with much serving, but who are listening to Jesus' teaching. And if you are married today, if you identify with her, if you're sitting at the feet of Jesus, hear Jesus' affirmation for you. You have chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from you. But what about the Marthas? What about those of us who are distracted with much serving? Well, this actually brings us back to one more question I asked earlier that we haven't actually answered yet. What's, what's it been like coming to Springfield, Missouri from Nashville, Tennessee? Yes, the traffic is a lot better here. There's some great local restaurants and some good coffee shops here. But as Jill and I and, and Lily, as we've started our lives over here in Springfield with a new job, a new community, a new church, I've discovered a striking truth about myself. The draw to be like a Martha, to get distracted with much serving is so, so strong. Having the chance to start over here, I've realized how much I live my life based on expectations. I didn't even know they were there. I don't know where they come from. But coming to a new city, if I'm a good Christian, I'm going to find a good church, and I'm going to find ways to serve that church. And if we're being honest, I'm a guy, so I'm probably going to sign up for the setup team. And my wife's a girl, so she's going to sign up for the kids' ministry, because that's just what we do. And of course, this assumes that I'm getting up every morning for my hour-long quiet time. Even though Scripture says in Psalms to make a joyful noise to the Lord, it's got to be a quiet time, because that's just... That's just what we do as Christians. What are these expectations that define who I am as a follower of Christ? When did anybody tell me I had to do any of these things to be a good Christian? What is this magical standard against which I constantly feel so inadequate? It's not just in trying to find ways to serve my church. It's in the times when I want to be a really good husband and serve my wife. My wife is a full-time mom and a part-time accountant. So you do the math. She's basically always working overtime at either one of those jobs. So giving her a night off is, of course, the number one way that I can serve her as a husband. And at times, probably not as often as I should, but at times I will do this. I'll stay home with Lily. Uh, Jill goes out and, and does her thing or goes to the village inn and gets pie with the girls, free pie on Wednesdays. And we have learned that pretty quickly moving to, moving to Springfield. And of course, I mean, I can't just take care of the kid. Like, I've really got to earn those hubby brownie points, right? So while she's gone, I throw Frozen on for Lily, plop her on the couch. She's glued to the TV, and I get to work. I start doing the dishes. I'm folding laundry. I'm picking up the house. What an amazing husband I am. What amazing service. I mean, I'm giving my wife a night out. I'm cleaning the house. I'm taking care of Lily. This is awesome. And then I finally sit down with this now clean house after probably a good half hour, hour or so. I've basically ignored my two-year-old daughter, but she's fine. She's watching Frozen. She's content. She's happy. 
and a sit down and a snuggle in, now ready to be the good dad, not just the good husband, now I'm going to be the good dad. And I sit down and Lily looks at me and says, I love you, daddy. And it's in those moments that I ask myself, why did I not just leave the dishes in the sink and snuggle with my little girl for one more hour? Maybe my wife was right. Maybe this passage really is about just leave the dishes in the sink and spend time with the people you love. So that brings us to one more question. What do we do with all this? We're right back to where we started. Is, is the point of this passage really just for busy people to stop serving and being so busy and go listen to Jesus? I don't think so. Because I believe when Jesus says that Mary has chosen the good portion, he's not talking about the fact that she shirked her responsibilities to sit at his feet. I believe he's referring to the fact that Mary chose him above everything else. See, I believe this passage is more about the orientation of your heart than about anything that you're doing. It's not about what Martha and Mary were doing. It's not about Martha serving or Mary sitting. It's about who they were doing it for. See, I believe Martha could have chosen the good portion in her serving if she were solely focused on Jesus while she served. And I believe Mary could have chosen the good portion in her sitting and still prepared dinner if she still had her heart set on Christ. This passage, I don't believe, is, I don't believe this passage is just about leaving dishes in the sink and going and listening to Jesus. But it's also not, well, we should obviously just sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach. Because if we say that, if we say, well, obviously I just need to sit at his feet and listen to him teach more, well, what are we going to hear Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 5, we'll hear Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how can we pray for our enemies if we're just sitting at his feet and listening to him? In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus will tell us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. How can we just sit at Jesus' feet and not be compelled to go? In Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Wait. We're, we're sitting at Jesus. We're being good Marys. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Isn't serving what Martha was doing. So if the message of this passage is not, well, we shouldn't be so busy and serve so much, but it's also not, well, we should just sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him teach. What do we do with this? I don't believe this passage is about the things we do, whether serving or sitting, but about him for whom we do it. How many of us look at this passage and immediately think of ourselves? Oh, I'm a Martha. I'm always so busy. Even now, you might be thinking about your to-do list. What are all the things I can cut? And gosh, maybe tomorrow I'm going to get up an extra hour early, have that quiet time, be a good Mary, and sit at Jesus' feet. Here's the thing. The point of this passage is not you. The point of this passage is Jesus Christ. How many of us look at this passage, and rather than saying, oh, I'm a Mary for sure, or even, even I'm a Martha, how many of us look at this and say, Jesus Christ is here? Serving or sitting is not the point here. Transfixing our hearts on Jesus Christ is. And this may come at a tremendous cost. Because it may cause us to defy every ounce of expectation by which we have been living our lives. Like Mary, who had to step out of who she was supposed to be, 
who everything in society expected her to be, to be who Jesus called her to be, we may have to do things that feel uncharacteristic or out of place with who we think we should be or what we should do. We may have to endure passive judgment from people around us who don't understand what we're doing or why we're doing it. What are the standards by which you are living your life today? Who are you trying to please? What does society expect of you? What does culture expect of you based on your gender or your social class or your age? What type of person do your friends and family expect you to be? Are other Christians your standard? If I could just be as good of a Christian as that person, I'll be okay. Hill City Church, if we profess to be followers of Christ, the only standard by which we live is Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, we find that there's really no standard by which to live at all. Because when we look at God's expectations of us, we recognize we can never, ever live up to God's expectations. But then we see Jesus Christ who already lived up to those expectations for us completely and fully. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel message is the good news that God has saved sinful man through his son, Jesus Christ. We are all sinners by nature all destined for an eternity, separated from God. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we find new life in him. Because our Jesus did not just die on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And it is in his death and resurrection that we find true freedom from all the expectations and standards that had defined us for so long. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching like a good Mary. No, through love, serve one another. If you're serving today, why are you serving? If you're, excuse me, if you're sitting at Jesus' feet, why are you sitting at Jesus' feet? Because you think you should, due to some kind of external or internal standard, because you think that by doing so, you might earn some approval from God. If I sit at his feet long enough, if I have a long enough quiet time, then God will like me. God will approve me. So that other people will look at your good Christian life and be proud of you. Or are you doing these things because you're so transfixed, so enthralled by Jesus Christ? You can't help but sit at his feet and listen when he speaks to you. And you find yourself serving in response to the call he has placed on your life. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet was one of the hardest choices she could have made in that moment. So the message today is not don't be so busy and instead sit at Jesus' feet. Rather, the message today is are you willing to do whatever it takes? No matter what everybody else thinks you should do, no matter who everyone else thinks you should be, even those internal standards of who you think you should be or what you think you should do, no matter what any of those things might be, are you willing to do whatever it takes to sit at Jesus' feet and choose the good portion today? I cannot think 
of a better way to end this message than with communion. If you are not a believer in Christ today, may today be the day you choose the good portion and step into the person God has called you to be. And if you profess Christ, faith in Christ today, your identity is in him. And you sit and you serve out of that identity, not to earn that identity. And we come to this table today to worship him who has poured out for us that we might then pour ourselves out for others sacrificially, constantly. As new creations welcomed it and invited to his table through his death and resurrection. If you're a follower of Christ today, as we break off the bread, reflect on Christ's body broken for you. Dip it in the cup, reflecting on Christ's blood shed for you, and worship him as the one who willingly died and rose again, that we might sit at his feet, that we might serve, that we might love and be loved. Let's pray. God, blessed be your name, our Father. God, praise be to you that you love us, that you have loved us, God, since before time began. God, thank you for your love and for your grace. God, I pray for those today who are here, who are distracted with much serving. God, who are looking at their lives and saying, there's no other way. I can't just stop serving. I can't just cut things out. My family, my life, my career, I have to be busy. God, I pray for those who have that heart today that you would redirect them to you and to your grace, to your beauty and to your presence, God, that it is not about the things they are doing, but that in their doing, in their busyness, God, they might be pointed to you and transfixed on you. God, I pray for those who find their identity in sitting at your feet and having their discipline, and reading their Bibles, and praying, but maybe finding pride in that. God, I pray that they would not do those things because they feel like they should, but that they would do those things because they are so in love with you and your love for them, God. God, I pray for those today who may not have ever chosen the good portion, who may look at their lives and recognize that something is missing, God, if they have never placed fair faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. God, may today be the day you open their hearts and you stir in them, God, an awakening for you for the very first time, God. And maybe there are some here today who have done that in their past, but have drifted and have feel that something is missing. God, stir in their heart. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts today. Awaken them, God. Awaken them to the call you placed on their life. God, as we come to worship you, God, may we praise you as the God who welcomes us at your feet, at your table, God. And we praise you for our identity is in you. We praise you, God, for we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.